There should be a study guide floating around that says 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. All right, let's read this section of Scripture together. So get your eyes on it. Outside of what God says in His Word, outside of what's meant to be here, I don't have anything great to say to you today except the great words of this book. So get your eyes on verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7, and we're going to read to verse 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, and he, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this this part of your word. Thank you for your scripture, Lord. God, your word is so important to so many people in this room, God. So we want to hear from you, Lord. Lord, please speak through your word, God, which we believe according to what you said is living and powerful and breathed out by you. God, we believe that you by your spirit could speak to us even now through these, through these inspired words. So I pray, God, help us, Lord. Help us to incline our ears to hear your words. And God, help me to speak in the ability that you supply. We need you, Lord, and I praise you, God, that you so freely give yourself to your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's talk about a little bit of the context of where this passage of Scripture is sitting. It's obviously about loving one another. Um, if you look at chapter 3, verse 23, I want you to see something important here. It says, and this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Now, when we were in that section of Scripture, we spoke about that, of how it's, it's interesting that He says, this is, this is God's commandment, as if it's a singular commandment. And then He lays two things before you, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and love for one another. As if they're so tightly woven together. So tightly merged. That this is the commandment. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name. And love one another. They're just tightly woven together. Which ought to heighten for us. The importance of the love of the brethren. The love of one another. And so this happens in this verse. And then what happens in the next couple of sections. Chapter 4. Verse 1 through 6, we get some of the implications of, 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 it gets unfolded of what it might mean of some things that you need to understand about believing on Jesus Christ, which Dustin taught last week. And then in our section, we get some of the, the implications unfolded for what it means to love one another. So this is sitting in this context. We already have the importance of loving one another. This is a, the third time in this letter that he's, be, he's begun to dig into this theme of us loving one another as a church. So this is very important. 
And this emphasis on loving one another, it makes sense when you realize that when you are reconciled, if you're here today and you are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, you are not just reconciled to God, you are reconciled to a people. You are reconciled to His church. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. By one spirit, you are all baptized into one body. And so this emphasis on loving one another makes sense when you realize that. And that mindset, this mindset of seeing the importance of loving one another and being reconciled into a body, that mindset obliterates the idea that's in our culture that I love Jesus, but I don't love His church. It kills that. It puts it to death. I love Jesus Christ, but, you know, the church, whatever, this is my own thing. See, it obliterates that mindset when we get to this place here in 1 John. This, this place in 1 John is going to teach us about loving the church and about why we should do that. That's actually the answer, excuse me, the question that gets answered here. Why should we love one another? Now, this section obviously is about love. I, we just read it together. And 14 times in six verses, we get that word love. Love, love, beloved, love, over and over again. It's obviously about love. So let me define, give a quick definition from the front front end of love, just for us to kind of settle in, okay? Love is not just a warm feeling that you have for someone that doesn't end in sacrificial laying down your life for them or sacrificial acts of love. It's not just a warm feeling. Love is also not just sacrificial action towards somebody that's totally void of those affections, those genuine affections toward that person. So, so neither one of those definitions should be in your mind. But rather to love someone is marked by genuine affections for them. Like, remember Luke 7? Jesus spoke about that lady who loved much. You remember her? And she's sitting at his feet and got tears coming down her cheeks, landing on his feet, wiping his feet with the hair of her head. And she's kissing his feet. Imagine the affections on this lady towards Christ when he said she loved much. So it's, it's marked, genuine love, real love as we define it, is marked by these genuine affections that show themselves in sacrificial action towards somebody else. Sacrificial loving action towards someone that's for their good. It's for their good. It's self-sacrifice, but it's rooted in genuine affections. I think we see this earlier in 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, by this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. The self-sacrifice. He laid down his life. And so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. And then he goes on to say, he gives a very practical example. Practical action here. He says, if you have this world's good and see your brother in need and there's nothing in you that moves toward him. He says, how does the love of God abide in you? And then he goes on in verse 18 to say, let us love not just in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So you're getting my idea of this definition here. There's these genuine affections. Imagine that these genuine affections towards one another that cap themselves off in deeds, self-sacrificing deeds of action and love toward one another for each other's good. Let that settle in your mind. Now this section is not just about loving people in general. I don't want you to think in general terms here. There's a sense in which you should love all. There's no doubt about that. But I don't want you to just think in general terms here. This, this says love one another. One another is the, is the 
where your love is supposed to land. It's, it's what you're supposed to be thinking about when you read these verses. The love of one another. Now that phrase is three times right here in this passage. Verse 7, listen to it. Beloved, let us love who? One another. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12. No one has, been, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. So love one another. Now based off of that phrase, love one another, you can break down this passage into three sections. Okay, you see that? If you have a study guide there, you see that. So the first section is chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. And the question is, why love one another? And what it, the reason it gives there, we're going to dig into this, is to prove that you are a true convert. To show that. Number two, why love one another? It's verses 9 through 11. Why love one another? Look at Christ. And in that third section is in verse 12. Why love, love one another? To, take, to make the invisible God visible for all to see. It's for His glory, for His praise, for His namesake. So these are the sections that get broken down here, okay? So the charge to us today, I want us to walk away with this, okay? We're going to dig in. The charge is that we love one another. But here's what I want to, I want to from the front end say some things to keep this from happening. Don't let this charge fade into no meaning. You know what I mean by that? Like this charge gets so generalized that it literally, I walk away and it has no real meaning for my life or no real application. So I'm pleading with you to think with me about this. Do not let this charge love one another don't walk away with no real meaning, no real application. And let me tell you why you can do that. You can say, that's right, I love the universal church. The brothers and sisters all over the world, I love the universal church. And I don't want you to hear it that way this day. And I'm not, I don't mean to say you shouldn't love the universal church. I think you should. There's something in you that loves brothers and sisters, even on the other side of the world or here in Jackson in another church. And you love these brothers and sisters, no doubt. I don't mean that. But when this says love one another right here, I want you to be thinking about your local church. When it gets real, when it gets practical, when, it, when you can actually apply love one another. Grace Community Church, your local church. If you're a member here, I want you to be thinking in those regards. Okay, C.S. Lewis said this. I thought this was a, a good quote for what I'm saying. He said, loving everyone in general may be an excuse for loving no one in particular. Did you catch that? catch that? Loving everyone in general may be an excuse for loving no one in particular. So I would add on to that. Sometimes the claim to love the invisible universal church in general is an excuse for never actually loving the particular local church of which you are a part in particular. But I want you to do that. I want you to think in terms of when they receive these words from John. They receive this epistle of 1 John. That they're thinking about us loving one another as a local church. Okay. Now try to, um, try to imagine John in this. Okay? Try to imagine. John, see if you can grasp John's heart. See if you can grab hold of John's uh, mindset as he writes out this letter to this group of people, to this church. Imagine his mindset. He knows what, what's happening there is those clear lines of this is the church and this is not the church. These are true converts. This is false conversion. Those lines are beginning to be blurred. 
Okay, we've seen that all the way through this book. And as they're beginning to be blurred, he writes this letter with a mindset to bring clarity into that situation. And he wants to make it clear, this is the true body of Christ. This is false conversion. So he's writing to, to, to draw clarity, to draw clear lines that are there. And then he wants them to look at one another. And he charges them three times over and over again in this letter. Love one another. And today, in this section, he's going to show this is why it's so important that you look at each other and love one another as the true church of Jesus Christ. And so I want, the, I want us to grasp this for ourselves, okay? Think about Grace Community Church. If you're here, you're a member of Grace Community Church. You think about it. Grace Community Church is not an event, okay? We're not an idea. We're not a building. We're not a place. Now, location, Grace Community Church is a group of people. So imagine that. Look at one another. Look at one another. Think about those who are part of us that aren't here today. And think and, and love one another. I want it to hit you. I want this section of Scripture to hit you like that. Grace Community Church is not just whoever happens to show up on any given Sunday. Grace Community Church is a, a, a very clear and defined group of people. That, have, that, that are a group of people that are purchased by the blood of Jesus, redeemed by the Lamb, locked arms for the glory of God. We're on the mission of God together, gathering our resources together for His glory, for His namesake, to regularly worship the living God together. I mean, this is, this is us. We come together in this sort of way. So when you think about this passage today, I want to I go ahead and say that now. Don't let it fade off into no meaning and no application. Look at your brothers and sisters, the ones that you're going to stand up in just a minute. And you're going to look at them in the face. You're going to ask them, where are you going for lunch? These people. I want you to think in those terms, okay? So let's go straight to verse 7 and 8. I want to read this again. Verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God. And knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. So here's the idea. Why? So you think on one another. Grace Community Church. Why love one another? And it says here to prove yourself to be a true child of God. Let me explain. There's two things that are assumed in this passage right here. Two things. Number one is this. Is that love comes from God. It, it, the source of love is God. Like Light comes from the sun. Love is from God. In fact, it's His very nature. The scripture said right there in verse 8, God is love. So this is His very nature. So that's one assumption here. Second assumption is this, is that these people He's writing to, they claim to be of this God. They claim to be born of this God. They claim to, to, to intimately know this God. And so this is implied here that God is love. He's the God of love. And these people know God. These people are born of God. And so the conclusion must be what? The conclusion to these two assumptions that Paul, that Paul, that John makes here is you must love one another. You must love the church. Why must you love the church? Because God in His very nature is a God of infinite love. Therefore, any of those who are born of Him, His children will be people of love. In particular, that love the church of Jesus Christ. But if somebody claims, according to verse 8 here, someone claims to be born of God, 
but does not love one another, does not have this love for the body of Christ, he says they're not of God. He says they're not of God. So with this conclusion in his mind, that all those who are truly of God will love the church. With that conclusion in his mind, John charges the church. He says, I, he says, beloved, beloved, love one another. With this in mind, love one another. And that's the charge that's given here. Okay, It's as if he's saying, the reason, brothers and sisters, beloved, that you should love one another is because this is, this is an outpouring of the fact that you truly belong to him. It's in a, in, in a way, it's like John the Baptist. Remember in uh, Luke chapter 3. You got John the Baptist looks at a group of people. And this is not exactly the same, but I just want to give you this parallel. John the Baptist looks at a group of people and he says, Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Bear fruits that show that you are truly repentant. Or, or Paul says the same thing in Acts 26, 20. He says, repent, turn to God, and do worse befitting repentance. Do your worst. Act in such a way that it shows that you really are of God. And the same thing is being said here, but it's being, it's more specific. Not just bear fruits, not just do worse, but specifically this idea of love one another. And so show yourself to be truly of Christ. So let's slow down for a minute and just consider this is one of these assumptions. Okay, let's just consider a few things. Slow down. The assumption I want to consider slowly is God is love. God is love or love is from God. That's what it just said. God is love. And this is speaking about God's nature. Okay. Slow down. Think with me. I want you to have in your mind the God of love, the, 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 the one true God, the God of love. This is speaking about his nature. Now, this is not defining him. And what I mean by that is you can't flip it. God is love, but it doesn't mean love is God. We do not bow down to love. Just like earlier in 1 John, it said God is light. You can't flip it. It doesn't mean light is God. We don't turn the lamp on and bow down and worship light. It's trying to tell you something about God. God is light. It's meant to tell you something. And right here, God is love. It's meant to tell you something about His nature, about who He is. So let's think about that for a minute. The love of God is indescribable. Do you know that? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, Paul begins to pray for these people. And he said, I'm praying that you might comprehend what is the, the, the length and the width and the depth and the height. That you might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's indescribable. You cannot describe this. A.W. Tozer said in, the, in, in his book about the love of God. He said, every Christian's tried to explain it, but none of them, none of them ever, ever did it very well. No one's ever explained the love of God. Well, it's indescribable. We cannot comprehend the love of this God. Think about this. The love of God is uninfluenced. The love of God is uninfluenced. There was nothing in the objects of His love that stirred Him up to love us. There's nothing in the objects of His love that merited His love. His love is uninfluenced. And this is foreign to us. This is a holy love we can't imagine. Because every place we've ever placed our loving affections and our loving actions has some sort of influence coming from the other way. But not God. Zero merit. Nothing in us that would say, you ought to love these people, God. And yet He pours out His love. His love is uninfluenced. The love of God is everlasting. His love toward His people has no beginning. 
Think about that for a minute. There was never a moment where he thought, oh, I love them now. His love is everlasting. It has no beginning. It has no end. He said that to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31.3. He said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness, I've drawn you. It's an everlasting love. His love is and was and is to come. It's an everlasting love. The love of God is all-knowing. It's omniscient. The love of God is all-knowing. He loves His children in spite of knowing everything about them. Let that sink in for a moment. Although He knows everything, He knows everything about your wretchedness, everything, and yet the love of God towards those who are His is still poured out. In other words, there will never be a moment, ever, where God learns a new fact about you and decides to remove His love. There'll never be a moment like that. God's love is all-knowing, omniscient. The love of God is infinite. We cannot comprehend the intensity of the affection that God has towards those who are His. And we cannot fathom the innumerable amounts of loving actions and, and sacrifice that's been laid down for us. We can't fathom them. This is the love of God. And then that other assumption. God is love and the other assumption is what? We're born of God. That means we've been given His life. We've been given the life of God and the soul of men. And, and here's this God of love and we're born of God. And so what is the conclusion? That those that are born of God, those that are regenerated, will love the church. That's the conclusion that's given here. Look at verse 7. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. So the idea of this is this is the work of God in every believer. Regeneration is the work of God in every single person that has put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God makes them a new creation. God plants His life and His love into them. The work of God in everyone. And that foundational truth was already laid out for us in Chapter 3, verse 14. You remember that? Where it says, By this you know you've passed from death to life, that you love the brethren. That you love the brethren. It's a tester to know whether you really pass from death to life. John Stott said it like this. I like this quote. He said, For the loveless Christian to profess to know God and to have been born of God is like claiming to be intimate with a foreigner whose language we cannot speak. Or to have been born of parents whom we do not in any way resemble. So I want you to hear this. Right in the midst of a culture that's full of false conversions. A culture that's full of false assurance. Okay, Right in the midst of that culture. A culture that increasingly despises the church and replaces it with this individualistic religion. That's false Christianity. And right in the midst of that culture, I want you to hear this. Those truly born of God love one another. Those truly born of God love the church. And so the conclusion that he gives, or the, the, excuse me, not the conclusion, but the charge that he gives, is what in verse 7? So love one another. Love one another. Now I was thinking about this. I gave the example of John the Baptist a minute ago, where John the Baptist says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And then the people convicted about it, they say, what do we do? 
How do we do that? You know, what do you want us to do? And he begins to dish it out. You know, you do this, and and and, and you soldiers don't intimidate anyone, and you guys do this, and he dishes out uh, the, the practical things there. Well, I wondered. I said, I wonder if anybody be doing that. I wonder if anybody, if I'm talking about love one another, love the church, and somebody, somebody at Grace Community Church is saying, what you want us to do, man? You know, I want to give you some practical things. Okay, ways to ways that. The love of the church shows itself, okay? Number one is this, affections. I already said it, but affections. Do you have loving affections for fellow members of Grace Community Church? Think about it. Do you have loving affections for them? Does your heart say, Psalm 16.3, As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Does your heart say that about the church? It's, it's, it's an easy thing, right, to say, I love the universal church, but what about the men and women of Grace Community Church or your local church if you're here visiting from somewhere else today? What about the men and women of your local church? Don't be hard-hearted. Don't be cold toward them. But love the church. This is a command in verse 7. Love it. Let us love one another. Okay, so affections. What you think about your affections. Second thing is this, attendance. That's, I didn't expect that one. Did he say attendance? Yes, I said attendance. And I'm, I'm talking about this mindset, that when the church of Jesus Christ gathers together on Sundays, the Bible study that you're hooked into, when they gather together, I'm there. I'm there with the body of Christ. Why? Because I care about them. And I want to know how they're doing. And they're all gathering up right there. And I, want to, I love them. And I want to know how they're doing. I want to check on them. I want to know how I can pray for them and how I can love them. I want to be there. Don't fall into this pattern in Hebrews 10, 24. Where it talks about people who are forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. Don't fall into that. This forsaking of the assembling of yourselves together. It shows a lack of love. Not just non-attendance, but a lack of love for the body of Christ. You want to know them. You want to be there when they gather. What about hospitality? Number three, hospitality. Romans 12, 13 says, be given to hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9, and actually, let me say this. I went back and reread that, and man, I was blown away by this. Think about this. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all things have fervent love for one another. That's verse 8. Verse 9, as you have these gifts, minister them to one another. Now, how big of a deal are those two things? And right in the middle, you know what it says? Be hospitable to one another without running. So what about that? We're thinking about practical ways. You know, you're like the dudes talking to John the Baptist. What you want us to do? What about this hospitality, this loving hospitality that takes the body of Christ and especially the ones that you have this special responsibility over or with in your local church. You have them into your home and you see how they're doing. You check on them and you love them and you encourage them and you build them up and you correct them and you, you feed them. Imagine that. Hospitality is a big deal. Number four, uh, real, practical, self-sacrificing deeds. And what I got in my mind is verse 18 of chapter 3. 1 John 3, 18. Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, get your hands dirty. 
This is love towards your brothers and sisters. They cost you something. Get your hands dirty. What keeps people from this self-sacrifice? What keeps people from laying down their lives for one another like this? Is it a lack of affections? Is it a lack of attendance? I'm not there. I don't even know. Let me say this. If you are of the mindset that everybody in Grace Community Church is doing just fine, you're not around enough. you got to come around some more. But if you're there and you know, what, what is it that keeps, keeps you from this kind of love? Is it being selfish with your resources? Is it being selfish with your time? It's my time. I can't do anything that's going to make me suffer a little bit. Or what about this love one another? What about that? Beloved, verse 7, beloved, Grace Community Church, let us love one another. Let's go to that next section, the section, verse 9 through 11. Let's read it again. In this the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I love this. Why love your church? Why love Grace Community Church? Why love your brothers and sisters? Why? Look at Christ. Look at Him. Look at what He has done. Look at how the love of God has been manifested in Christ. That's what's laid out for us right here. Verse, verse 9 calls Him, the, my version says, the only begotten Son. The best version says, the one and only Son. The one and only Son. He sent His one and only Son. The idea here is, is, is His uniqueness. He is the one and the only. There's none like Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Think about that. I, I've been adopted. Many of you have been adopted into the family of God. So are we sons and daughters of God? Yes. But He's the one and only. He is unique in every way. There is none like Jesus, the Son of God. The second person of the, the, the one triune God. It's amazing who has come to this earth to save sinners like us. And it says right here in verse 9. Whom he sent. God has sent. Would you think about that for a moment? Just dwell there. God has sent his one and only son into the world. And I love this thought of the son of God being sent. Into the world. This word is it's in the same word family. Uh, of the, where we get the word apostle from. Okay, So the, the idea here is, is. It indicates one who is sent. Sent on a mission. Sent on a mission with a purpose. He is sent into this world. I, I, just think about that for a minute. Jesus Christ the eternal son of God. Second person of the trinity. Is sent. Into this world by God the Father, on this rescue mission, on this deliverance mission. Think about that for just a moment. I was thinking about this. There's different places in the world where we get kind of, we get insight into these like triune conversations. You remember that? Like Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, God the Father said to God the Son, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until your enemies are made your footstool. You're like, whoa, I just got insight into like, Try and dialogue there, right? Don't you wish you would have gotten this one? 
Don't you wish you could have heard like when, when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is sent to the world, don't you wish you could have just got in on some of that conversation? We could have some kind of insight into that trying conversation. Don't you wish you could do that? And I was thinking about this. Here's one thing you know from this passage of Scripture we're in. It was motivated, rooted in love. By this, God's love was manifested toward us. God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son. Imagine this. It's not this, oh, I guess we got to save Him. Oh, I guess I got to go to the earth and take on flesh. It's not like that. Imagine this motivated by love and rejoicing that I'm going to go and save a people for myself. Can you imagine that? And as I was thinking about that, I came across this. There's a book that John Bunyan, many of you know John Bunyan from the book Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, he wrote another book called Holy War. And me and my son are reading it together right now. We're reading through this book called Holy War. And it's very similar to Pilgrim's Progress, and it's, it's, it's an allegory. So it's, it's you got King Shaddai, King Shaddai, okay, who's that talking about? King Shaddai has built a city. And the city is called Mansoul. You get it? Man's soul. Mansoul. So here's King Shaddai that built a city called Mansoul. And one called Diabolus, okay, the devil, one called Diabolus, has come and deceived the people. And they rebel against King Shaddai. And they hate King Shaddai. And they push away from his command. They, they, renounce, they renounce his reign as if they could. And King Shaddai begins to send in these warriors to take back over the city, but they're full of mercy. They're full of mercy. They don't just go in and destroy them. But first he sends Captain Conviction, who disturbs them and disturbs them and disturbs them and makes them think, are we doing the right thing? He sends Captain Judgment in. And then eventually, in the part that we came to just a couple nights ago, as me and my son read through this, as he's about to send his son. He's about to send Prince Emmanuel. God with us. And he's about to send him in to the city. And I got a little insight into that triune conversation right here. Now, it's just John Bunyan. But I thought it was interesting. I want you to hear it. When the king called for his son, he's about to send him to Mansoul to deliver the town. When the king called for his son, Emmanuel answered, Here I am, my father. When, then the king said, You know as I do the condition of the town of Mansoul and how we've tried to redeem it. Come, my son, and prepare yourself for the war, for you must go to my camp at Mansoul. You must prevail and conquer the town. The king's son replied, Your law is within my heart. I delight to do your will. This is the day I have longed for and the work I have long awaited. Give me the forces and I will go and deliver the perishing town from Diabolus and his power. My heart has often been grieved for the miserable town of Mansoul. But now I can rejoice. Now I can be glad. And with that... Emmanuel leaped for joy, saying, I have not thought that anything was too costly for Mansoul. The day of vengeance is in my heart for my dear Mansoul. And I'm glad that you, my father, have made me the captain of their, their salvation. Now I will begin to come against all those who have invaded my town. I will deliver it from their hand. I love that. So here's this picture, and I want you to see it. God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son. He sent His one and only Son. 
And right here we say it. In this the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent on a rescue mission with a purpose to save a people for himself. He's been sent into the world. And it says also in verse 9. He was sent that we might live through him. You see we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. We have no real life. We only have physical life. All of us by nature dead children of wrath that deserve, deserve nothing but the worst of torments hell forever. And Jesus Christ comes. The Son of God comes. And He doesn't come to, to die for people that love Him, but He comes to die. He comes to lay down His life. He comes to rescue dead people. He came that we might live through Him. Imagine like Lazarus. I thought about Lazarus. Jesus walks up to the tomb with compassion in his heart and tears coming down his cheek. And he knows Lazarus is dead in that tomb. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man rises up and has life. You imagine that all across this room. That's what we are, a group of people that have been really, not just physically, but really and truly raised from the dead. You imagine that. Kelsey, come forth. Jesus the Christ says that. Shame, come forth. He says these things. You imagine that in a group of people raised from the dead. He came that we might live through Him. Verse 10 says, Not that we love God. And this is love. Not that we love God. This shows our loveless state before God, this is our state, okay? When He came, when He came into this earth, our state is we were a loveless people. We were a loveless people. We did, He did not die for people that loved Him. You've got to get that out of your mind. God did not look into the world and say, hey, there's some people with some, some, some sincere hearts and I'll lay down my life for them. No. None with sincere hearts. None at all. A loveless people that hated God. That's us. And for us, he comes and he lays down his life. Now, what if, what if the path to salvation was love God? What if that was a requirement? Hey, love God and you'll be saved. What, what would that mean for us? Do you realize that means we all fail miserably? If the requirement for salvation is love God, we would fail miserably and every one of us would be in hell forever. Therefore, it says it in the verse, not that we love God. This is not about our love for God. This is not about that. This is about Him loving a people that were loveless. He loved us even while we were sinners. Even while we hated Him. And it goes on to say, there in verse 10, and sent His Son to be the propitiation, propitiation for our sins. Now, I want all of us to love this word. I want us to love this word. It's a fancy word, but I want us to love it. Propitiation. This word propitiation describes what Jesus did when he came and he died at the cross. This word is telling you what he did, what really went down at the cross when it says propitiation. Think about it. Because God is good, he's so good. He's pure goodness. And because He's just, He's good and He's just. And because of those things, He has wrath stored up for the wicked. And I mean us. Wrath of God. Think about it. 
There was a time where I had no concept of the wrath of the Almighty God. But the wrath of God, because He's good and because He's just, the wrath of God stored up for the wicked like us. And Jesus came. And He did not stop the wrath of God. He redirected it onto Himself. This is the propitiation. At the cross, Jesus was being our propitiation. He was the wrath-absorbing sacrifice at the cross. He was removing God's wrath from us, not by canceling it, but by absorbing God's wrath in our place. What love is this? What love is this? What kind of love is that? You see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's sweating drops of blood. He's crying out, there's any other way. Could you take this away from me? And yet, not my will, but your will be done. If this is the only way, I'll go and I'll take, I'll take your wrath. I'll take the punishment for them. Can you see the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane? Can you see it? What love is this? And he turns the corner in verse 11. And he says, beloved, if God so loved us. Beloved, if God so loved us. Us. Now, if you didn't know, I know you know what it says, but if you didn't know what it says, what would you think it would say next? Look at what he's done, y'all. He is love, and he has sent his son to be the wrath-bearing sacrifice for our sins. He has saved us, and if God so loved us, and you would expect it to say, love God, love him back. Pour out your affections on Him, the one who has loved us and given Himself for us. But what does it say instead? We ought to love one another. Do you see the importance of it? If God so loved us, it says in verse 11, we also ought to love one another. This shows the great importance of this, of us loving. And I, again, I want you to think personal. Grace Community Church, imagine that. A people that love each other. They love each other well. They love each other deeply. Now some people in the room might be thinking this. Maybe not. But I want to throw it out there just in case. Some people in the room might be thinking, yeah, that's right. They need to learn to love one another. Don't do that. Just don't do that. I want you to think about yourself. And your own love for the body of Christ. Not yet. They ought to love me better true. We're messing up, man. This is a part of it, right? This is why the Lord calls us to forbearance and long-suffering because He knew that as we got in to this local church environment and we're in each other's lives, that we're going to mess up and we're going to mess up bad at times. And so there's this forgiveness and this forbearance and this long-suffering, just like our Christ, our Lord, who had an uninfluenced love toward us. Not He loved us because we were good to Him, but He loved us in spite of ourselves. And I want you to think that way towards each other. Love one another as Christ has loved us. Now in this verse when it says beloved if God so loved us we ought to love one another. Think about that. We ought to. We ought to love one another. You ought to love your church. What does that mean? And I want you to think about that in two ways. There's an empowerment side of that. You are empowered by the love of Jesus Christ you are empowered, if you were born again, to love the church. And it's your example that's put up before you. That example is the standard. It's what we go after as we go after loving the church. It's, the, it's what empowers you, and it's your example put before you. So when it says, we ought to love one another, it's, it's we ought to, like a bird ought to fly. 
a fish ought to swim. Well, those who are born into the family of God and given a new heart and a new creation in Christ Jesus and what they've been made, they ought to love one another. It's just what happens. It's what you should expect. And yet we're commanded to do it. So it's an empowerment. And practically, one way I want to encourage you to think about this practically, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, it describes us, it says, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So one practical thing that we do is we don't just fall, you know, clench our fists and say, we're going to love better. We look at Jesus Christ and we think, look at our Savior. We day after day after day in His Word, through each other's encouragement, we behold. I want to see the glory of Christ in His love for His people. And what is that going to do in our hearts? It's going to transform us into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So a, a, a pursuit of us growing in our love for one another is a, a pursuit to see the glory of Christ and His love for His people. That's why you need His words. That's why you need to be encouraging each other. We all need to be encouraging one another. And it's the example. Think of the self-sacrifice of propitiation. Think about Him, just like I said a moment ago. Moaning in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what he's about to sacrifice, knowing what he's about to take on to himself, not just lashes, physical pain, but the wrath of Almighty God. You imagine the self-sacrifice that's right there. And that's, that's, our, that's our invitation. That's our example laid out before us. And so you too might do that, right? As we go after loving one another, you might lose some comfort. You might lose sleep. You might lose your life, but this is the mindset, right? Love, love one another. Last verse, last section. Verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. So why love your church? Why? To make the invisible God visible. For the glory of God. Why well, I love your church. This is about His glory. It's not about us. It's not just about us. It's not just about people. But this is about the glory and praise the name of God. This is about Him. Love one another for His name's sake. Love one another that the invisible God might be made known. That's the idea of this verse. You want to glorify God? You want to show the world? Let the goal. Of Grace Community Church being a people that love one another well in the affections and in the actions. And you'll be living a life moving towards the glory of God. Think about that. The world does not see God. No one has seen God at any time. The world doesn't see God. The world sees the church. That's what the world sees. No one has seen God at any time. This means that all the, all the other, you know, you read through the Bible... You say, wait a minute, they saw God right there. That means every other appearance of God in the Bible was a veiled appearance for human safety. You understand that? Like we see God in His fullness, sinful man sees God in His fullness, we shrivel up and die in a moment. Uh, Exodus 33, 20 says this, You cannot see my face, He's speaking to Moses, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. So here's the invisible God. No one has seen God at any time. 
knowing it's in God. Same phrase is used over in John, same writer. John chapter 1 verse 18, the exact same phrase is used. No one has seen God at any time. And then listen to how it's followed. But the only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, He has declared it. So He says, God is invisible. Look at Jesus, God in the flesh. God is invisible. You want to know Him? Look at Christ. That's what He says in John 1, 18. Now think about this. Think about this. But in 1 John 4, 12, He says, no one has seen God at any time. And He says, look at the church. No one has seen God in any church. No one has seen God at any time. The invisible God. But when you love one another, God abides in you. And the world sees. I think this should... When I think about John 1.18 and 1 John 4.12. No one has seen God at any time. Look at Christ. No one has seen God at any time. Look at the church. That makes this truth staggering. Absolutely staggering the, the importance of the idea that Grace Community Church love each other. You got you got to love each other. We need to love each other. We are empowered to love each other. Praise the living God, and we have, we must love one another. So if we love one another, God is put on display through us, and then it even goes on to say His love has been perfected in us. Do you see the importance of this? Through us loving one another, God's love is. Perfected in us, is completed in us. What? This is massively important. Your affections and actions towards the church put the invisible God on display. John 13, 35, right? By this all will know that you're my disciples and you have love for one another. Get practical here. Don't lose it. Don't let it fade off. Yeah, yeah, I love them. I love them. Don't let it fade off into just meaningless. Don't let it fade off into no application. Think about Think about real affections and actions towards one another. Think about that. Grace Community Church. Let's love one another well. So I'm going to close just by saying a few things. Um, just yesterday, I heard a brother express, you know, he's started coming around joined this church, started coming around, those sort of things. And he was just expressed like, man, it just seems like people love each other. Just love each other. Like they just, you know, they're hanging out over here, they're hanging out over here, they're going to these meetings, they're together, they want to be together, they want to stir each other up. And he's talking about what he had seen in Grace Community Church. And I praise God for that. Y'all praise God for that? That God has done that kind of work, that he is doing that kind of work. But I want to encourage you in the same way I encourage him. Praise the living God for that. And God is at work in us. And there's places where, where delight is shining, no doubt. But my encouragement towards Him is not everybody feels that way. And I'm not saying we basically think I'll be perfect, but I just, I just want you to think like that. We are not perfect in this. We have not arrived. Get rid of the pride. We have not arrived in this area. There are people that come among us, no doubt, and feel unloved. And so feel the charge of that of God has worked in us. He's worked in us. Praise the living God that He's doing this. God, do it even more so. Show us our blind spots. Show us our weaknesses. And let's be a people that love one another. And if you think about this verse 12, no one has seen God, but when we, 
But if you love one another, God abides in us. This is for the glory of God, to show God to the world. When you think about that, I want you to think about how that applies here, okay? Every time you are filled with affections for a member of Grace Community Church or the members of Grace Community Church, every time that happens, you are working towards putting the invisible God on display. That's awesome, right? What about this? When you pray through that membership list, you take that, you know, that membership list, that sounds lame, right? But it represents the people that you've locked arms with. It represents something glorious. It's a That membership list is sent to you. It's beautiful because these are the people that you have a different kind of responsibility for than you have any other Christian on planet Earth. And you take this list and you pray through it. And every time you do that, you are moving towards putting the invisible God on glorious display. When you are faithful to be at the meetings and the, 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 the Sunday gathering or your Bible study or, the, or being hospitable, when you go after that, being there with one another, you are moving towards, think about the bigger picture here, glory to the living God. That's what you're doing. According to verse 12, when you sacrifice your resources, when you sacrifice your time, when you go out of your way to encourage, to teach, to build up, to correct, to rebuke, in any of these ways, when you go after that, what are you doing? No one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God abides in us. We show forth the glory of God. So, can we go after that together? In light of God is love, in light of the one who became the propitiation for our sins. I mean an act of love like you can never imagine. And in, in, in light of our desire for God to be magnified, let's love one another, okay? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for these words. God, I pray that you would charge us, Lord, not as words from men who are weak like myself, but words from your lips, God, from your scripture. God, I pray that you would fill us, God, with affections for one another. God, I pray that you would do a work in Grace Community Church. Do a work among the members of this local church, God. That, that there's just fullness of affections, of love, loving affections toward one another that shows itself in self-sacrifice, God. I pray, God, that you would open our eyes to blind spots. Strengthen us where we're weak in this, Lord. God, make us a people that love one another well. In Jesus' name, amen.